Um, I grew up with some uh, close personal friends. They really, they were heroes of mine. Um, they, were, they were always there for me. They always made me laugh. Uh, I, actually, I learned a lot from them. Uh, Larry, Moe, and Curly really was um, not Shemp. We're not going there. Three Stooges. Uh, I grew up watching uh, the Three Stooges. I loved it um, as a kid. Black and white shows, they were rarity. Uh, every once in a while, you turn on the TV and it was black and white, and it would just catch my attention. And the inner high school, the inner junior higher in me thought it was fantastic that you could just beat up on people, right? You can have a ladder to the face, no blood, no ER visit, right? You can poke somebody's eye out, and there's no ramifications. It was just a good time. Well, they only let me down once. One time, and this is years and years and years ago, I had a bunch of people over at my house, uh, a bunch of church people were having, some, were having some fun, there was some games in the back, there was food in the kitchen, and I found myself on the couch uh, watching a Three Stooges marathon. This was a very chill, very just some friends over, having a good time, and I love the Three Stooges. It just, I giggle inside my little heart, I love it, right? Well, something, something happen. Three Stooges are kind of like PG, right? I mean, it's black and white. Nothing really wrong happens. There's physical comedy and life goes on. But that night, something kind of just threw a loop. So I'm sitting on the couch. I've got my hand on the remote and I'm watching TV and people are in and out. No big deal. And all of a sudden, a commercial came on for Victoria's Secret. You know, the angels situation, right? They're like, come on, man. I'm watching the Three Stooges. This is pretty PG. Why are you going to throw this in my face? Here's what I should have done. I should have said, oh, look, Victoria's Secret. I should get the channel and probably just change that. Here's what I did, unfortunately. I said, oh, look, Victoria's Secret. And in my head, I'm like, I should change that. I should probably get that remote. Ah, oh, where's that remote? And I'm slowly reaching for the remote. One of my friends comes in the other room, young lady from church I attend, looks at me and looks at the TV screen and goes, oh, youth minister, huh? <laughs> oh. Right? Okay, listen, I, I understand the difference between seeing a human being and saying, oh, there's a human being there. Or the difference with seeing a human being and saying, oh, that human being has a very nice shape. There's about a second and a half difference. Let me try to illustrate it. Oh, look, there's a person. Oh, look, there's a person. Difference, right? Right? You understand? So temptation sometimes comes out of nowhere. Again, three stooges. I was being a good boy, I promise. And then a bunch of church people caught me doing something silly by not changing the channel quick enough, right? Well, let me tell you another time uh, where temptation got the best of me. Um, I, I stole money from church once. Um, and you're thinking, oh, that's not wise of a youth minister. Eh, let me tell you. So when I was in high school, uh, I was invited to church. I was not raised as a Christian, uh, but I started playing basketball at, um, I think it was Lake Crest Assemblies of God. And um, a buddy of mine invited me, and I started showing up and having a good time playing basketball. They invited me one time and said, hey, listen, we've got a service project. We are raising money for our missionaries in a different land that tell people about Jesus, we'd like you to come help. It's at the local mall. You'll spend a couple hours wrapping Christmas presents. I'm like, sure, I'm horrible wrapping paper, and I'm 15. I've got nothing but time. Let's do this. So my friend and I show up, and it's this, this is basically the job. We would stand in the middle of the mall. Somebody would bring a present and say, would you wrap this? And I would say, sure. I would poorly wrap it in a hurry, 
give it back to that person. And if they wanted to give a donation, they would hand me cash. This was a time and place where cash was needed, right? I would take that cash. I would walk behind my adult leaders and put it in a box. That's it. That's all I had to do. Poorly wrap a present, take money and put it in a box. So when you work across uh, the hallway from Taco Bell and you're 15 and you don't have morals, blah, 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 right? You don't really consider right and wrong that big of a deal. Most of the cash handed to me made it to those missionaries. I would love to say that the steadfast, ironclad will of John Muffler when he was 15 was honorable, but I had tacos that day. Took money from church. I, matter of fact, I probably owe a 10 spot to uh, Christ, uh, Ridgecrest. Ridgecrest? Christ? Yeah, church in Lake St. Louis. Um, so I probably should mail them after saying this. I should probably mail them a check. Um, but listen, temptation is hard. You and I, listen, I'm making the assumption that you are damaged like me, that we are imperfect people, that when, ten, when temptation arises, the difference between right and wrong, we often choose the wrong. We know it's right and wrong. The vast majority of us in here are very intelligent people, and the rest of us are married to very intelligent people, right? <laughs> That's what my wife says. Anyway, so I know that temptation bugs us all. And if you're anything like me, uh, it's almost always easier to indulge our urges than it is to resist, right? Sin is usually more enjoyable than obedience. Sin is usually more natural than obedience. I'm telling you what, sin is that momentary pleasure of I want, I get immediately. I need tacos. I'm going to steal from church. I looked at that silly angels commercial and went, ah, I should probably, ch- ah, I'm going to linger, right? It's that momentary gratitude of like, oh, this is nice. This is good, right? It's not easy. Matter of fact, it's not even natural. It, we are basically born with this idea that we need to create a situation where personally I'm happy. It doesn't matter what everybody else is. So it's, it goes beyond the natural order of things to thinking of other people or to do the right thing. Now, temptation is that polar desire to rebel from what we know is truth. Things that you and I have said, we'll only do it once. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to get caught. Nobody will ever see. Well, since everybody else is going 10 miles an hour over, I'm not going to get pulled over. It's totally fine. That one hurt? Anyone? Yeah, it's okay. That's all right. But seriously, we rebel from knowing what's truth. We know what wrong and right is. Guys, we live in a society that is very intelligent. We know right from wrong. We just take the easy way out sometimes. We say, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. Nobody's going to catch me. I'll just do it this one time. Everyone else is doing it. Now, the difference between temptation and sin is action. Walk away with this. The difference between temptation and sin is action. We are all going to be tempted to do the wrong thing. Jesus was tempted. You and I are tempted, okay? Temptation is not wrong. It's how we interact with and how we make a decision toward that temptation. That action could lead us to sin, rebellion, painful decisions, or that temptation, this is the great part, can lead us to a greater faith in Jesus Christ. We can say, you know what? This is the hard route. This is difficult. This isn't natural. But if I go this direction, my relationship, my reputation, people will know me as a follower of Christ. Now, this is difficult. I just gave you two stories that made me look like somebody you probably shouldn't have as a youth minister, but that's totally cool, right? Because we all fall short. 
Now, today we're continuing our series called The Wilderness. Uh, now, today we're looking at the battling in the wilderness. This battling is, is, is dealing with temptation, and we are going to take a look on how Jesus overcame the battle of temptation without giving in to sin. So if you would like, we are camping out in Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. So if you've got a phone, if you've got a tablet, um, if you're old school and you've got your paper Bible, that's awesome. I love to hear that. It's good stuff. So Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. Now we see right here, chapter 4, 1 through 11, uh, the baptism of Jesus by John takes place in the Jordan River. Jesus has this ginormous spiritual high going on. He, he just gets baptized. The Holy Spirit ascends on him like a dove, and there's a voice from the heavens that says, this is my son, in which I'm well pleased, right? Has anybody ever had a spiritual high? Mission trip, conference, camp, retreat, whatever it is, where you're thinking like, this, this is how life should be. This is how I'm connected, and I've got no distractions, and this is just the greatest thing ever. We see Jesus in this moment, like just the pinnacle. He's as close as close can be. And then something comes and takes his legs out from under him. It kind of happens to us when we get back from that camp, conference, or experience. Here's what we read in Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I feel like that's an understatement. Anyone? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights without food, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from his mouth. Now notice who leads Jesus into temptation. This is interesting. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. This world is still God's. Even when we look at it and say, oh, Man, it, it's all jacked up. It's all messed up. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into this tempting. 40 days and 40 nights without food would leave the body in a dire state. I very much believe that Jesus is 100% human. He was not just this prearranged, born perfect, uh, godly character that kind of floated everywhere and it was no big deal. 40 days without food, his body, just like ours if we didn't eat for 40 days, would start to cannibalize itself. It would eat the stores of fat, then eat the stores of muscle, and then it would start working on bones, bone marrow, stuff like that. So at 40 days, he was very close to death. Starvation can happen anywhere from 21 to 70 days without food. Uh, 40 days reminds us of 40 years of wandering, wandering in the wilderness by the nation of, uh, of Israel. Now this first temptation, stones to bread. You think, this is kind of weird, but what's happening here? Now, the devil says, if you are the son of man, this wasn't a question if Jesus or if Satan knew Jesus was the Messiah, but tempting him to take control of the situation. Listen, we see Jesus not just hungry. We're talking death's door. And the devil looks at him and says, listen, if you are the son of man, you've got a great plan. Something is happening. I don't know totally what it is, but you need to take control because you can't just die this way. Feed yourself. Take control of the situation. Do what you need to do to get over this emotional, physical problem you have. He looks at Jesus and tempts him and says, listen, are you in control or is God in control? Now, Adam didn't trust God in the garden. God said, knowledge, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't do that. And, uh, and Adam and Eve said, eh, I'm going to do that. Israel did not trust God in the wilderness. Would Jesus trust God in this situation? The first temptation was not about food, but where we put our trust. 
Would Jesus learn the lesson of trust from Adam and Israel? Here's his response, and I love this. He, he quotes scripture, Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We should trust the Father to the point of reordering our priorities. Listen, you put me in the same situation, and I would love to say, oh, I'm going to be great. No, I'm going to cry like a child. 40 days and 40 nights without food, I'm going to be depleted. I'm going to be in the weakest stage of my entire life. I will probably be tempted to do ridiculous things in order to meet this physical need. What Jesus says is, even though I'm at my weakest, even though I'm at the lowest point, even though I'm at the point where physically I could be dead, he says, you know what? I trust God has a plan. I trust he is in control of the situation, and I'm not going to take control away from my heavenly father. And you and I need to look at that and say, listen, whatever physical ailment we have, whatever the situation that we do or do not like that's going on around us, are we taking control and saying, I don't trust you, God. I'll take the reins. I've got this. So the first temptation was not about bread. It was about trust. We should trust the Father to, uh, to the point to reordering our priorities. Obedience before pain, hunger, suffering. Matter of fact, in Hebrews 5.8, it says this about Jesus. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus, fully human, did not come with supernatural ability to do the right thing. He, like us, had to learn what right and wrong was. And then he, like us, had to make a conscious decision and say, you know what? I am tempted to do either something that will glorify God or something that will make myself happy. Now, the second temptation is Matthew 4, 5 through 7. Let's read that. When the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord God to your test. All right, here we go. We see Satan, the liar, quote scripture, actually misquotes uh, Psalm 91, trying to test Christ. Here's first lesson we need to learn in this, guys. We need to be very careful with scripture because you shouldn't trust me. You shouldn't trust John. You shouldn't trust Tom. You shouldn't trust anyone that talks to you about Scripture without you backing that information up. Because I can stand here and I can pull pieces of Scripture and isolate them just like Satan does and say, you know what, polygamy is a good idea. It's all through Scripture. You know what, child sacrifice? I can find it in Scripture. We have to be very careful who we trust, who we ingest Scripture from, because the devil literally looks at Jesus and says, oh, I'll quote you some Scripture. And Jesus says, <laughs> you're not going to get me on that one because I know the word of God. I understand what's happening here. He leaves out a chunk of Psalm 91 to test Christ. Um, God does not promise to save us from selfish acts. He basically, the devil basically says, hey, listen, jump off this, this high tower. And if you're the son of God, God will just protect you. His angels will come and snatch you up. And Jesus looks at him and says, you know what? God doesn't promise that. So why would I put my God to the test? Anybody play Frogger as a kid or as a young adult? Okay, Frogger, loved it. It was great. What was the idea of Frogger? Not dying by hit, being hit by a truck, right? If you jump in front of a truck, do you expect God to say, oh, hold on, I got this? 
Guys, your Heavenly Father loves you to death, but he's not going to stop us from making decisions that hurt or damage ourselves or others. We should not put our God to the test and say, you know what? If you love me, you'll do this for me. If, 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 right? So Jesus says, let's not play that game. He also responds with scripture for the second time, Deuteronomy 6.16. Do not put your Lord, your God, to the test. Faith is trust, not doubt looking for proof. Let me say that again. Faith is trust, not doubt looking for proof. Now, this third temptation is interesting. The devil has now um, offered twice. The negotiations are not going well. And so he really pushes it. I mean, he goes all out, right? Matthew 4, 8 through 11 says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdom, uh, kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him and the angels came to attend him. Satan offers Jesus a trade. Rule the world for worshiping him. There's a few, few things in this piece of scripture that makes me very uneasy. Is the world's owner Jesus? Is the world's owner Satan? What's happening here? I can't walk up to you and be like, hey, I will give you this great Maserati for a taco. Listen, I don't, I don't own that. I can't give away something that's not mine, right? So this kind of confuses and hurts my heart thinking that is Satan in a position to give this away? The temptation is a shortcut. Sovereignty is promised to Christ through the cross. Jesus is going to be set up to be the ruler of this world only through the cross. And if we remember that means suffering, means harm, means humility, and it means being nailed to a tree. Basically, Satan was looking at Jesus and saying, hey, do you want a shortcut? A lot less pain, a lot less humility, a lot less torture. Just worship me. Everything will be great. It's a shortcut. Jesus looks at him and responds once again for the third time with scripture. Fear the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 6.13. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only. Take your oaths in his name. Now, Adam and Israel, Adam and Eve, nation of Israel, renounced God for the easy path thinking, the ends justify the means. If I can just get there, as long as I get there, it's totally fine. Jesus refuses to take a shortcut for the third time, and that's the uh, scripture he quote to justify his actions. So, his divine mission would not be contaminated by the world's principles. Jesus, tempted three times, has an answer three times, has the opportunity to A, take shortcuts, or praise God. So what do we walk away with? When we read that piece of scripture, when we see the temptation of Christ, when we understand that we are also battling in the wilderness, this idea that, that the things come at us in such a way that sometimes we're blindsided and sometimes we see miles down the road, how do we interact? How do we react to temptation? Jesus overcame the battle of temptation without giving into sin, and I believe so can we. I feel like even though you and I are imperfect people, if we have a battle plan, we will fight a better battle than just if we're shocked all the time we find ourselves in a situation of temptation. So here's three things that I think we can work on to create a battle plan, okay, for this temptation, this battling in the wilderness. Number one, this battle is with an enemy. 
it would be easier for me to stand here and say, you know what, bad things happen, sorry. But to be real honest, there's an enemy out there that's against us. If you're a follower of Christ, if this is your first time at church, if you're somewhere in between, listen guys, I want you to know this. I very much believe that we are emotional, physical, and spiritual creatures. We are not just one, we are all three. There is an enemy that hates God so much, he takes delight in damaging and destroying his family. He actively pursues God's family to damage God. Guys, if we live our lives, if I live my life walking around thinking there's no one opposing me, I'm going to step in his traps continually. We need to be aware that there is something powerful against us. We need to be aware that we are in a battle. Satan, devil, backbiter, accuser, slanderer, king of lies. Listen, there is a spiritual act of war against us. James 4 says this, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. He is not an overwhelming force. He is a force that we can combat through cooperation with Jesus Christ. First part of the battle plan is knowing that there is an actual enemy and there is something that needs to be fought. Number two, the battle stems from our personal desires. Now, you and I might be tempted in different ways. We all have distinctive desires. If you knew what tempted me, you might chuckle. You might recoil in fear. I don't know what tempts you. We all have different things, okay? I haven't robbed a bank in decades. It's not one of my things anymore, right? Haha, -ha, no, moving on. Try that with high schoolers. Um, <laughs> but we all have different temptations. We all have different pulls that pushes us toward do we uh, chase after God and build our reputation as a follower of Christ or do we build ourselves our own kingdoms? Um, you and I will be tempted in different ways, but we totally know that um, we will be tempted in places where we find ourselves often. Uh, he, uh, uh, the devil tempted uh, Jesus with food knowing hunger was an overwhelming desire at the time. Uh, when we're stressed, we, uh, he will offer us an easy out that cuts corners. I'm, listen, I, I'm a guy that loves cutting corners. It's, it's in my nature. I have to push back against it. Um, I had the opportunity to communicate on the, on the east side uh, last week, and I basically offered up my, my personality as a B-plus person. I'd rather get the job done and move on to the next job and not worry if it's perfect. That makes sense? I love cutting corners because I want to get things accomplished and move on. I don't know if that's the ADHD in me or if that's the male in me or if that's my own issues. I'm just saying, right? Um, Satan can't make us sin, but he can lure us into sin by manipulating the truth to where we can be convinced the shortcut or the wrong way is the right way. Uh, I've been a follower of Christ now for 20 years, and I've had the blessing of people that I love and trust, mentors that I look up to, walk up to me and tap me on the shoulder and say, are you sure? Are you sure that's what you believe? Are you sure that's scripture? Because man, I, I've got baggage. I've got uh, people that I love in my life that I want to see um, have justice. There are things in my life that I struggle and say, I hope God thinks this way. I want God to think this way. And I've had people challenge me and say, you know, are you, are you sure? Because it sounds like you're trying to put scripture in what you desire instead of what scripture says that you should follow after. Maybe I'm not the only one in there, in here, that's been in that situation, but I'm grateful for the, the, the men and women in my life to tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, are you sure? I need to reevaluate that because sin often comes in forms of saying, well, it sounds right, but I'm just not sure. Now, our passions, backgrounds, and pain 
often place us in a position hoping Scripture agrees with us, not the other way around. As followers of Christ or somebody who's looking or trying to be spiritually open to figuring out who Jesus is, we need Scripture. Now, I know you might shut off and say, oh, it's another preacher. Just another youth minister saying, i got to read my Bible. But guess what? We should probably read our Bibles, right? We should, try, we should try and figure out what God's opinions and perspectives are. Without Scripture, how would we know exactly why we're here, God's character, any kind of records of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection? We would have no idea what God wants or expects out of us. If we live this life hoping that we are doing God's will, I guarantee that we're going to be failing a lot more than we're being successful, okay? Um, the third one is this battle is fought in our own weaknesses. Temptation is strongest when we are the weakest. Satan tempted Jesus at his weakest point. All right, it's time to get honest, and it's going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to rub some people the wrong way, and I apologize, but I love you. I promise we're in this together. But here's the question. When is our resistance to temptation the weakest? You know this. The vast majority of us in here are intelligent people that realize when I make a mistake, it's in this situation. I'm going to tell you mine. 99% of the stupid decisions I make is when I'm bored and when I'm alone. Rarely do I do something stupid in front of a group of people. Well, not rarely. Sometimes, right? Okay? But in all honesty, in my situation, when I'm, when I'm battling in temptation, when I know I can either take a left or take a right, either obeying uh, and growing in my relationship with Christ or growing my own kingdom and making a mess of my life, I'm alone and bored. That's mine. What's yours? Where's your situation? Who are you hanging out with at that time? What device, what things are going on in your life? What are you holding? Is it a steering wheel? Is it an electronic device? Is it your brother-in-law? Is it that friend from high school that's only been in jail three times, but it's totally cool. He's, getting, he's on the upswing, right? What are we doing? I'm going to be real honest, guys. You're not a dumb human being. You know normally when temptation knocks on your door, you're in a position. I have to never be bored. I have to never be bored. I can be alone as long as I'm doing something. I'm just going to be real honest with you guys. I'm as human as anybody else. I make stupid decisions sometimes. But guys, if I am battling, I want you to battle with me. We can look at temptation and say, you know what? There's an enemy. He's going to, he's going to break us in our weakness and our desires, and we can come up with a plan to say, you know what? I'm not going to be shocked when I find myself in that situation again. Whatever your situation is, don't be shocked because you're hanging around that person, because you have that device in your hand, because you're in that situation. You're on the freeway doing 95. Maybe stop being late. Don't do 95. I don't know. That's maybe yours. We need to look at temptation and say, this should not shock us. We should not be shocked that this world, there's an enemy trying to devour and kill us. Um, what would it look like if we took an honest look at our temptations and created a plan that cooperates, with God, that cooperates with God. What would your reputation be? How would your relationships be? What about your spouse? What about your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors? How would people look at you differently if you took a stand and said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to make a lot less because I'm going to cooperate with God and understand that I need to come up with a battle plan. 